A little while ago, I bought some new tires for our family car, and I got them at Costco because we're adults now, and apparently that's, uh, that's what you do when you're an adult is you buy, you buy big-ticket items that are not exciting anymore, like tires and home appliances. So one, <laughs> one really great thing about Costco, though, is you get free tire rotation as well as uh, free maintenance on the tire for you know the life of it. So I took them up on that free offer, and I went to the counter, and I scheduled an oil change as well as a tire service, and they said, oh, man, come back in about an hour. Everything's going to be done by then. So I wandered around, and it was getting close to lunchtime, so I ate some samples for lunch, as one does at Costco, and I came back, and the car still wasn't ready. And they said, Mr. Shaw, we're still working on your vehicle. So I go away for 45 more minutes and I make my rounds back again. The coconut shrimp were delicious. And uh, I make my way back to the tire center and I stand in line and I go, hey, guys, I'm back for the car. And they said, no, Mr. Shaw, it's still not ready. And I was like, what? You're kidding. I've been here for nearly two hours and you're you're telling me my car's not ready yet. They said, no. And. I was trying to be nice and polite, but inside I was I was really mad. I, I I was frustrated. I was like, how in the world does it take two hours, you know, to do a tire service and a tire rotation? And uh, so I said, is there anything wrong with with my car? Is everything okay? And they said, Mr. Shaw, there's a problem with your tires. I was like, how so? They're brand new. And they said, well, it's the rims. The alloy has reacted with the steel hub and it caused there to be significant corrosion over the seven years you've had your car. And at Costco, when you buy your tires from us, everything to do with your wheel is now maintained to factory or close to factory specifications by us. Now, I didn't believe them. I never heard of this before and it sounded strange. And so I was like, all right, guys, how much is this, you know, how much is going to cost me? And they said, no, no, sir, you don't understand. It's not going to cost you anything, just your time. And the manager brought out the tire to show me the corrosion. And he said, the corrosion on your wheel is preventing us from tightening the bolts back to factory specifications. And we, in fact, had a lady come in last week, and only one of her bolts was actually tightened properly because she had gone eight years without an actual tire service. She was one bad pothole or a bad bump on the highway from losing her tire. And then he said something that was really profound to me, and that was, we want to take care of your family. And once our tires are on your car, we feel liable and responsible. At that point, I, I felt a little bad for being frustrated. I mean, after all, these guys were saving my life. So I said, oh, thank you very much. So I walked back into the waiting area and sat down and pun entirely intended, the wheels in my head started turning. My name is Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. So we've been on a journey together over the past several episodes in this, our second season as we've been talking about the subject of leadership and personal growth. In fact, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes that are in this season, I, I really would suggest that you go and, and give all of them a listen. I'm confident they'll help your life and help you grow. And here's kind of what we've covered over the past little bit. We talked about the two enemies of greatness and talked about ambition and the myth of potential. 
We talked about increasing our capacity and what is our responsibility versus what is God's responsibility. And then we talked about creating clarity. And that was a very practical episode where we talked about developing personal organizational values and determining what is most important right now. And today, in this last episode of season two, today is where the rubber meets the road. That's a lot of puns. I'm so sorry. That's it. I promise. I promise that'll be it. Maybe. Let's go back to Costco. Okay, so I'm I'm in Costco still. And much like the grid of the cold metal bench is now leaving an indelible imprint on my person, my mind is now being impressed with three principles now learned from my corroded rims and my lack of responsible tire servicing. And here's what was just spinning in my head after I saw my corroded rim actually get wheeled out of the shop to to give proof to and testimony to what the service manager was saying. Here's what was going on in my head. The three things I learned was this. Ignorance is not an excuse. Just just because I didn't know that this was going to happen did not mean that it wasn't going to happen. My rim still got corroded. Number two, corrosion builds over time, and it does more and more damage, increasing the risk of danger. And then three, the longer you take to deal with it, the longer it takes to deal with it. The longer you take to deal with it, the longer it takes to deal with it. Because I I hadn't had a tire service in the seven years that I'd had this vehicle, the longer it took to actually take care of those rims. And now that we have dealt with character, capacity, and clarity, we have to now deal with the often overlooked yet absolutely essential foundational element of leadership, especially in spiritual leadership and in church life. But if you don't get this right, what we're going to talk about today, all of the major principles in the previous episodes will at worst live only in the realm of theory and not reality, making you even more frustrated than you were before, or at best... If you don't get this, everything we've talked about, the progress in it is going to be painfully and excruciatingly slow. But here's the deal. Ignorance of this principle is not an excuse. Just because you've never been taught what we're about to talk about today doesn't mean that you're excused from the impact of not having in your life. In fact, corrosion in this area of your life will only increase the damage you do to your reputation, your influence, and others trust in you as a leader and your effectiveness in God's kingdom. And the longer you take to address this issue head on and tackle it and take responsibility for it, the longer it takes to fix simply because the more entrenched you are in dysfunctional and bad habits, the harder and more painful it is for you to change. I'm talking, of course, about how you handle time and personal productivity. The longer you take to figure out time management and developing systems of personal productivity, the longer it will take for you to truly accomplish your goals, become excellent in your calling, and glorify God with just your dead-level best. See, because the world is filled with plans and dreams and napkin manifestos and journal entries with very little to show for it. 
The world is filled with enormously creative, bright people who accomplish very little because they don't know how to maximize their time. The world and the kingdom is filled with smart and anointed people who don't know how to work smart. The simple truth of today's podcast is this. Effective leaders know how to get things done. Effective leaders know how to get things done. Think about the effective leaders that you know and respect that surrounds you right now. Whatever buzzwords we all collectively use to describe them, oh man, that's a person that can turn vision into reality. They, they know how to move the ball up the field. That's a bankable leader. They are always in beast mode. You know, we're all saying the same thing. No matter what words we use to describe this person, we're all saying the same thing. What we're saying is that this leader, this person, is someone who can be depended on to execute with a great mix of excellence and speed of action. Because great leaders know how to get things done. But if this is so true, why do so many struggle? Why does it seem to take so long, painfully long, for people to get stuff done. Why does it take you so long to get something done? I think we fail because we meticulously dream and map out our years and we neglect our days. We don't know how to manage our moments. We don't know how to manage our days. And See, the day is small, but our dreams are grandiose. But Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The day is what actually matters. There's this really important thing that you got to understand before we get in the nuts and bolts of my experience with time management and productivity tools. And that is you don't have tomorrow. You just have today. Tomorrow is not real for you yet. Unless you're God that lives in eternity and sees the end from the beginning, tomorrow does not actually exist for you. It doesn't exist. It actually has not happened yet. And the only time that you have is right now. See, we have this picture in our head of this magical moment where everything is so perfect in our life that the picture and the selfie we take that we then upload to the gram breaks the internet with everyone going, oh, this is so awesome. Their life is perfect. The dream is perfect, our plans are perfect, but our real lives are not. They're actually quite messy. And so sometimes it's easier to wait for the perfect moment to get stuff done in a magical land known as tomorrow. But the problem is our lack of discipline and over-idealism keeps us from breaking down our biggest plans into small bite-sized pieces that we very unglamorously execute today and every day for that matter. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. In other words, talk is cheap and it's not worth very much. And at some point, all of our dreaming and hoping and planning for tomorrow must get up out of bed, put a hard hat on, and get to work. Because if you want to be effective and you want to grow, you have to grind. You have to embrace the grind and you must win the day. You have to win the day. You've got to learn how to make every day matter and every day count. Now you may be saying, Adam, you're just saying that because you're a naturally administrative person. 
I'm not. I'm not naturally an administrative, highly productive person. I actually have ADHD. I was diagnosed as an adult later in life. Two different family doctors ran me through a battery of tests and they're like, yeah, bro, you, you have focus problems. Now, I could have used that as an excuse. It could have been justifiable. I could have said, look, there, here's some stuff I'm good at, but spreadsheets is not one of them. Paying attention is not one of them. Calendars is not one of them. I just can't do that. That's not me. Look, um, even my doctor says I'm not able to. But I knew God had stuff he wanted me to do, really important things. And if I was going to accomplish his will and give him my absolute dead level best, I had to take responsibility for my life. Living below my actual capabilities, living below my calling was, was unacceptable. So I had to tackle this head on. And with God's help and a tremendous support network in my family and a, a lot of hard work, I've reinvented large portions of my life. And while some days are much more of a struggle than others, I've been able to hit a really good stride and begin to accomplish the things that, that God has told me are part of His will for my life. So I want to share with you four principles that I've learned over the years, as I've struggled with time management and productivity. Now, all these ideas are adaptations from others that, that I've learned, and I just want to share them with you, and hopefully today they'll help. And the first one, the first one is really important, and, and it's a way that you think about time management and productivity. It's, it's not a task item, but it's, it's, it's a mind thing, and it deals with how you respond to and prioritize things that come into your life. It's like a filter that goes in your mind that helps you say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And Brennan Burchard in his research of high performers found that one of the biggest dividers between people that perform at a high level and those that are average or below average is that those that perform at a high level have a highly attuned critical eye in figuring out what is important. They are always asking themselves at the beginning of a project, at the beginning of a week, throughout the week, throughout the day, what am I supposed to be doing? What will make today have impact? When they're faced with a decision, they're asked, what am I supposed to be doing? What will have today have impact? See, there's lots of stuff that you could do, but it doesn't mean that you should do it. General Eisenhower, he had this famous saying that, that goes like this, what is important is seldom urgent, and what is urgent is seldom important. Now, urgent items are things that have like sirens going off, and there's, there's, there's big billboards screaming, look at this, look over here. It, it's things that, that have a sense of crisis attached to them. They demand an immediate response. Things that are important are things that are tied to your values and your goals and your mission in life. They're often tied to your most important relationships. And Eisenhower had this very wise and profound statement that said, often the things that scream the loudest in your life, the things that demand your attention, say, look at me right now, handle this right now, are often things that are not important. 
and the things that are truly important in your life that are tied to your mission, your vision, your calling, and your relationships, they very often will never scream at you or demand your attention until it is too late. And it's so important for leaders to realize if you're going to be effective, you must identify what is most important in your life right now. You must identify the tasks and the, and the items that are tied to your most important relationships or your mission and your vision. And you must learn to work on those things in advance, even if they're not telling you that they are a crisis. Let me give an example. We work on our marriage, those of us that are married, we work on our marriages because we don't want our marriage to become an urgent and important item. For those of us that are, are preachers of the gospel, we pray and we fast and we study and we have a regular rhythm of, of learning and growing because we don't want to be lying on you know, our basement floor on Saturday night screaming into the sky, God give me a word because Sunday is right around the corner and we got nothing. Good leaders are able to wake up every day and decide what things are going to get my attention today? And I am going to give my time and attention only to those things that are truly important, regardless of whether or not they become urgent. But here's the problem. The problem is, this is especially true with church leaders, is that we spend most of our time responding to things that claim to be urgent, but they have nothing to do with our mission, our vision, our values, and they don't make long-term impact. And most of those items that are urgent but not important are interruptions from other people. It's okay to say no every once in a while. If we're polite and loving, it's okay. In fact, it's appropriate for you to protect your time and say no to people politely, or encourage them to solve their problems by themselves. Or we can set up time slots when we are available so that people know that they can speak with you then. And then you boundary the rest of your time so that you are not continually interrupted by people who want to make their crisis your problem. Now, this is particularly hard for us to manage in ministry leadership because we are in the serving others business. That's literally what Jesus said. We are, in, we are here to serve others, and we are here to take up the towel and to, you know, wash one another's feet and be one another's servant. And technically, anything we do could be argued as ministry. But what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves is if serving this person in this way is the best use of the resource, time, and energy that God has given me. Here's some examples that an elderly person would call my father, who is the senior pastor at our church, because she had a light blinking in her kitchen. And it, he, she wondered if pastor could come over and take a look at it. He said, I, I can't. Now, I know, I know what some of you may be thinking, because there is a bit of a culture in the church that says, if some people call us, we have to drop everything at once and go. And that's not always wise. Even sometimes when someone calls you, as I mentioned before, and 
they're in crisis and they want you to become immersed in their emergency, it's okay to say no. I remember I heard this amazing story from Brother Bernard at a Young Minister's Training Seminar, and he, he told a story of someone who called him in crisis, and, and they had a crisis in their family and said, you got to get over here right now. And he said, I can't. I am busy, and I am scheduled for the rest of the evening. I can see you in my office, or I can come to your home first thing tomorrow morning. Now, what was scheduled until the end of the evening into tomorrow morning that prevented him was dinner with his family and time with his children. And he said, look, I didn't want what was happening in their, in their life to happen in my life. And I know the only way to do that is to make sure that I'm investing in what is important right now. And so I refuse to make someone else's emergency my emergency while I was in the middle of dinner with my family. It's okay and sometimes very appropriate to say no. It's okay to say you're busy or you have other things planned when someone attempts to make their crisis yours. Often one of the greatest sources of manufactured crisis in our life are all of our notifications. We live connected to the internet 24-7. Phones, smartwatches, tablets, our laptops, they're with us everywhere that we go. And everything, every app wants to send you notifications. And sometimes one of the greatest sources of urgent but not important items in your life are just the incessant notifications of people or uh, apps that are wanting or demanding an immediate response. And so what you have to do as a leader is you have to, in your mind, filter what demands a response and what doesn't. And often the greatest thing that you can do is turn your notifications off on your phone and silence everything and maybe have a couple of favorite numbers that can get through at any moment at any time. But when it's time for you to work on the things that are important, that know that you're unreachable. In fact, it would be a great idea to get all social media notifications completely off of your devices. You don't need them. People can text, they can call, they can email, or if you have a, like a work uh, service app like Slack, like we use at our church, you can, people can get a hold of you that way. But social media is, is not a fantastic way to spend your time, and it can create this constant sense of urgency where it just hangs there on your home screen or on your lock screen, demanding that you respond to it right away. I'm here to give you permission that you don't have to respond right away. It's okay to let some messages go one, two, sometimes three days before you respond if they're not urgent. Now, the second principle I had to learn was know where your time goes. Know where your time goes. Peter Drucker, the famous management expert, said, leaders, know thy time. Know thy time. The first step to effective time management is learning and discovering how you are using the time that you have. You need to know where it goes. You need to know what distracts you. You know what trips you up. You need to know what you've done throughout the day. You need to learn how to track your time. Because losing track of time and allowing yourself to be interrupted or distracted by 
as I said earlier, urgent but not important things can be very costly to your personal productivity and can rob you of your effectiveness. According to Gloria Marks, she's a professor at the University of California, and she studies productivity, and here's what she said. Most distractions are self-interruptions, and it takes an average of 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get back to the task. 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get back to the task. This means every time you check your phone, every time you have a text come through and you're working on something and you feel a need to respond to that text, it takes nearly a quarter of an hour for your mind to get back on task. Every time you impulsively check Instagram in the middle of working on something that is high value, it takes your mind 23 minutes and 15 seconds on average to get back in the zone. So here are four really important items for me that revolve around this principle of knowing where my time goes. I live by my calendar. I use, um, I put all of my appointments on my calendar. I use Google Calendar just because we use uh, Google Suite at our church and it allows me to sync uh, my calendar across multiple devices as well as share it with those that I work with. Another app that I use is Todoist. I love, love, love Todoist because it has integrations with Google Calendar and Google Drive and a, and a whole uh, other host of apps. Now, Todoist is my project management and to-do list. My calendar is good for appointments, but it's not great on helping me break down big projects into tiny little pieces, and it's not great at helping me manage my to-do list. And so what I do is I add all of my projects into Todoist, and all of my to-do list items uh, for the day go in there as well. And you can tag your different items according to what project they're uh, from and what their due date is and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's fantastic. I live by Todoist. There's a, a whole bunch of other ones out there. There's reminders and, and et cetera that you can use. But, but I really love Todoist. The other thing is high-performance planner when it comes to tracking my day and planning my day. So I have my calendar with my appointments. I have Todoist with my project management items. But then to keep me from losing sight of what's important in my life, I use the High Performance Planner to keep things high level. And uh, shout out to Jamil McLaren for posting about it. I saw it. I liked it. Uh, my wife and I use it every day to, to map out our priorities as a family. And uh, it's, it's fantastic. Now, those of you that have a home office or work in an office, uh, get two monitors. I, I, right now, I'm using dual monitors in my home office. I have one screen for all of my communication apps and other items um, like that, and one giant screen directly in front of me for what I'm working on. Zero notifications come across that screen. Zero interruptions come across that screen. I actually have to look at the other screen, drag my mouse across, and to, in order to respond to stuff. So nothing is coming in front of my face and interrupting me. And so that is another thing that I do to track and manage my time. The third thing that I've had to learn to help me become more productive is focused growth in the margins. Focused growth in the margins. Again, I, I like his work a lot. So Brendan Burchard in his study of high performers discovered that high performers are very clear about the skills they need to develop to win in the future. And then they build a curriculum for themselves and are actively, actively engaged in learning that curriculum. Here's what that means in a nutshell, is that 
high-performing leaders are able to identify what they need to know in order to become the best that they can be, and they then develop a plan in order to learn the stuff they need to know, and then they learn the stuff they need to know. They develop a focused growth plan. Productive leaders understand that reading and learning is not wasting time, but it is an invaluable part of their continued success. But one thing that effective leaders do is they don't just read randomly. They don't just learn randomly. But they learn and they read based on a highly focused, highly developed plan for growth. They're able to point out what they need to know next in order to go to the next level. And they only focus on those things. So, for example, in my life, I spent a couple of years learning organizational design and, and productivity and leadership. And then I felt God begin to direct me, especially as the, you know, this podcast began to germinate in my life, to begin to study ideas again, to look at ideas and how ideas shape the world. And so that all the stuff that's on my Amazon wish list right now all revolves around ideas and theology and doctrine and 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 stuff that's shaping our culture right now. And so I'm very, very focused on that. I'm not reading fiction. I'm reading my Bible. And then I am reading the books that are tied to my growth plan. I am listening to podcasts that are tied to my growth plan, that are connected to the understanding and the unpacking of ideas that are shaping the world, because that's what God wants me to focus on right now. But what do you do when you're busy? What do you do when, when you're highly involved in ministry and you're working a full-time job or, or you're, in, you're in school and, and you're trying to reach people and teach Bible studies and you know you need to learn, you want to become productive and you want to grow? What do you do when you are busy? And it feels like you don't have any time to read. You don't have any time to study. Well, you grow in the margins. See, you have... In between all of your appointments, you have this buffer of a few minutes. Like when you, if, you, if you're going to a dentist appointment, you're, you're going to get out of your car and then you're going to go to the waiting room and chances are, like all medical professional offices, they are not just going to whisk you in right away, right on the dot, but you're going to spend a few moments in that waiting room. Well, instead of pulling out your phone or, or checking Facebook, have a book with you. If you're waiting in line, have a book with you. This is something that I learned because my life gets pretty hectic at times. I always have a book with me, always, because I never know if I'm going to have an opportunity to read. Podcasts and audiobooks, I listen to them in the car. When I'm doing menial tasks, when I'm you know, cleaning my house or mowing the lawn, I am, I've got podcasts and audiobooks piping in, into, into my ears because I'm trying to grow in the margins. You may not have a 45-minute block of time or an hour to dedicate to reading and learning every day, but you've got a 15-minute commute. you got 20 minutes in the car. You have 10 minutes in the doctor's office. You add up all those little times that you're standing in line or you're in a car, you're in a vehicle. You've, you've got a decent amount of time where you can you can read for 10 minutes. You can listen for 15 minutes. You can do something in the margins to add value to your life. So I want to challenge you. Have a book with you everywhere you go. Have an audio book ready or a podcast ready to listen to everywhere you go. 
and be ready at any moment if there's a delay, a gap in time that you you can maximize the margins in your life and you can learn and you can grow even when you're really busy. The last thing, dare I say the most important thing that you need in your life in order to become productive is to cultivate passion. Continually cultivate passion in your life. Do not go through the motions. See, there's a myth that many people have, especially sometimes in church where we, uh, we idolize the, oh, let's throw the schedule out the window. Let's throw the plan out of the window. That somehow that discipline equals a lack of passion or that focus equals a, a lack of, you know, this, this gumption and desire and spontaneous hunger. No, that the adrenaline rush of spontaneity often has nothing to do with passion and has everything to do with a fight or flight response in your head because you don't have a plan. Discipline does not equal a passionless life. It is possible to get up every day with a clear picture of what needs to get done and to push hard with all of your might, with all of your soul, and with joy. What you do is too important for you to go through the motions. Too many people are watching you. Too many people are looking to you to lead them. Too many people are depending on you to carve out a path for them to follow you into the future that God has for them. More importantly than the optics is the parable of the talents that Jesus tells us. Jesus Christ himself has invested the resources of heaven in your soul. So quit giving up and gassing out so close to the finish line of breakthrough and success because you got bored. Quit giving up and gassing out so close to the breakthrough of revival and success and growth in your life because you wanted to do something different. No, stay in the grind. Whatever you've got to do to dig deep and pull passion out of your spirit, do it. Whatever you've got to do to allow you to execute your plan consistently with a burning fire in your gut, whatever you got to do to stoke the flames of that fire, you do it. Cultivate passion every day. Look at pictures of your family. Go to a high point and look over your city and community and imagine that most of those people are lost. Dig out your why every day and look at it. And remember, the point of all of your work is for purpose. Break out your playbook. Go over your values. Whatever you got to do to stir yourself, do it. For me, it's music. I have these praise break playlists on my phone. Shout music. Pumped up. Throw down church songs. In fact, today was a busy day. I've had two back-to-back weekends of travel for ministry. Our church is in a really busy season. I was exhausted today. Absolutely fried. And I had to finish up this podcast. And so I I turned on my Faith Worship Arts album and I listened to the He Is Here, Root Prize, and Greater Things Praise Break Edition while I wrote this podcast and I listened to it as loud as I could get it. I deliberately pushed my mind into an environment of passion. We don't live by our emotions. We tell our emotions 
what we want them to feel. Find your passion switch. And when your mind gets lazy or down in the dumps, you drag yourself out of that and you stir your heart back up again. No more excuses. No more wasted days. Because today is where the magic happens. Success and growth comes through the grind. The grind of constantly filtering the urgent from the important and focusing on the important. The grind of learning time management, living by your calendar and checking off those lists. The grind of continually resurrecting your heart and spirit and allowing God to breathe fresh passion in you for the work he has for you every single day. Because today, with all of its interruptions and all of its imperfections and all of its drama, if you can make it work, that's where the miracles materialize. That's where transformation and impact begins. A few weeks ago, <laughs> we were in the middle of home renovations. And I had to, I had to, you know, rush and and get cleaned up because I had a Bible study that night. And I was I was fried. I was so tired. Unbelievably tired. I splashed some water on my face. And, and drove to my Bible study. And while I was there, at the end, I was like, okay, let, let, this has been a great night, let's pray. And at the beginning of our prayer, the Spirit of God broke through, and the, uh, the young man that I was teaching the Bible study to that was trying to overcome some addictions in his life prayed back through to the Holy Ghost, and his girlfriend, who was there with him, she almost received the Holy Ghost. She had stammering lips all on a day that I frankly was tired and I was worn out. And I just wanted to stay at home. But I was like, no, this is important. These people are important. I, I got to get my head in the game. And I'm going to drive down there and I'm going to teach that Bible study with all my heart. She came to service a week later and God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Zachariah said, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Today may seem like the most frustrating day in the world, but find your passion switch and throw it and get your head in the game. Because small beginnings multiplied over time leads to massive momentum. It's time for you to go to the next level of effectiveness and leadership and ministry. And it's all in how you handle your time. Thanks for listening.